So let's um, turn to the Word of God, Romans chapter 12, from verse number 3. In coming to this, uh, this passage this morning, um, what, we're, what we're going to be discovering is that we're getting specific. It's not just enough in general terms to say that we offer ourselves as a sacrifice to God, uh, what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, we have to be specific to understand that, and this passage is going to try and help us uh, to do that. It points us in that direction. So let's read from verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Amen. May God's word uh, touch all our hearts today. So the message is for everyone. It's for absolutely everyone. That's what he says here, isn't it? I say to everyone among you. And no doubt, as Paul is writing this down, he's got faces that he sees. Uh, We know the names, don't we? If you turn to chapter 16, uh, he lists all, all this group of people that he's writing to. Some are slaves. Some are aristocracy. Different nationalities. Some Asians, some Italians, I think some Albanians who came from Illyricum. And uh, he's, he's writing uh, to all of them. And basically there are, there are two things uh, that, he's, that he's writing about. And you'll see these words come up in the passage. Uh, he's going to talk about thinking. And he's going to talk about uh, using. There is, however, one proviso. Uh, there, is, there is one thing that we need to say to qualify um, something. Because it's not for absolutely everybody. Um, it's for all the church. It's for everyone who's part of the family of God. He's speaking when he says, to everyone, it's to everyone among you. It is to the Christian people that he's talking uh, when, he, when he mentions this. So there is a distinction, and the distinction in his mind is not between am I a Jew, am I a Gentile, am I rich, or am I poor? The distinction in his mind is am I a Christian, or am I not a Christian? Am I a Christian, or am I a pagan, in his case? Uh, Am I an idolater? Uh, Am I a secularist? Am I an atheist? Or, or whatever. That, that is the distinction that is in 
his mind. So this teaching here in this passage fundamentally is for all of the Christian community. So the most basic question really for for all of us to ask right at the start is, you know, what category do I fall into? Am Am I a saved person? Saved by the grace of God? Or am I still lost in my sin? Uh, have I been born from above with the life of Christ, eternal life? Or am I still dead in my sin? Uh, am I somebody who is walking the broad road that everybody else is on, the popular way that leads to destruction? Or am I on that narrow path, entering through that single gate, who is Christ alone, that ultimately leads to heaven and to the presence of God? I mean, that, that is the big thing that is, that is really being emphasized here. Because if I'm not saved, then, then these, these verses don't really apply to me. There, there is an element of irrelevance. Although he says to everyone, It's to the Christian. You see, Christianity is not just a set of ethical rules uh, that applies to everybody and we can stick them up on our wall and we can try our best to live by them. It doesn't work like that. The, 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 The fundamental point is this, that a life is changed when a person says, you know, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And a life is changed because Christ by his spirit enters that life and transforms it and gives power and ability to follow these kind of instructions. If you don't have Christ in your life, you don't have the ability. You don't have the power to, to follow instructions like this. To put it in a slightly different way, it follows very clearly on in the way that he has developed this letter, the book of Romans. Because the thing that he's come to talk about, first of all in this book, is the doctrine of justification, how I can be right with God. And then it's only after he's talked about that, that he then begins to address the issue of sanctification, how I can live for God. And that order is very important. It's actually fundamental. Because there are too many people in religious circles who who switch it. And they're trying to live the instructions and yet their life has never been changed. And it's just religious form. And so, it's to everyone, but it's to, be, it's to everyone who is a child of God. And so the first thing, the starting point, the gate into all of this is for us to call upon the name of the Lord so that we're saved. To receive the Lord Jesus as Savior and Lord so that we can, we can have the ability and the power to live this kind of life. That, that, that needed to be said at the outset. So what's he saying then to all the Christians in Rome? Well, these, these two things I mentioned earlier on. The first one I want to just mention to you is this idea about thinking. Now, you, you'll see that in, I think, it's verse, the verse number three there, um, he mentions the word thinking three times. And uh, 
it's a follow-on from what we looked at last week, the first couple of verses, because he's talked there about the importance of renewing our minds. That's the way that Christian people are transformed. It comes through the renewing of your mind. And so there are certain things that need to be thought about. And the first thing that he mentions here in verse number three is not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. I mean, that's a fundamental issue as far as life in general, particularly when you think of religion. You know, people think they're good, fundamentally. Think of themselves more highly than they ought to think, and that's why they don't feel they have the need of a saviour. And they don't feel they need to say, Christ is enough for me, because I've got plenty of other stuff that's fine. But it's a particular issue here in the church. Obviously, there was something that was going on here uh, to do with how the, the church functioned, the people of God as they came together. And there were some people who clearly thought about themselves more highly than they should have been thinking. And there were things that they wanted to do and they felt they were qualified for and they felt uh, they were world beaters in their own mind, you know, whatever it was. Uh, and nobody else thought that when they listened to them, you know. They were uh, pretending they had the, the, the hymn sheet up in front of them just so that they could have a little snooze, you know, because it was not inspiring, despite the guy thinking he was, he was giving it great guns and, you know, big licks. And so he feels that he has to Say this, there is a way to think about yourself. And there is a way to think about your abilities. And that way is, you have to do it with sober judgment. Don't be all dramatic. There's a tendency in Christian circles to be overly mystical about things. You know, you've probably heard me saying this before. Uh, I remember reading about a guy who was a farmer, and um, he, he felt that he was called to be a missionary. And um, he went uh, in front of the elders or whoever, and uh, he told his story. And he said, I was out in, the, out in the fields one day, it was lunchtime, I just had my, my cheese and pickle sandwich, and I was lying down looking up the sky, and the, the clouds to me seemed to, to form a particular pattern in the sky. And, and I could discern the letter P and the letter C. And I knew that was a message uh, that I had to preach Christ. And so he says, that's why I'm here. And somebody said to him, but that could have meant plant cabbages. You know, uh, you know we can sometimes in Christian circles just be too spiritual, too mystical. And, and what he's saying here is, You've got to think with sober judgment. Let's just be practical. Let's be clear-eyed and clear-minded. Let's just be realistic about our capabilities, what they are and, and what they aren't. Um, I mean, I have, known, I have known people who have left churches, actually, because they didn't, didn't get to do what they felt they should have been doing. You know, who, who felt that, uh, you know, they were, they were great preachers or, or whatever it was, and no, nobody else really thought that. And because they didn't get a wee shot at doing that, um, you know, they, they, they weren't too happy, and, 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 they, and they left. Now, 
I mean, there are certain things, hopefully, I have uh, got a, a, a good degree now of insight into, probably because I have a good wife who helps me here. But, um, uh, you know, if, if, if you were to ask me to be in charge of uh, the finances, for instance, of the church, and say, we think you should be the treasurer, I don't think that would be a good move. I, I'm actually still struggling at times to know the difference between a credit card and a debit card. And I, and, I, and I do have to think about that every time, and I still don't get it right. Um, Alex will testify to the little kind of back and forth we had yesterday about a slide that is going to be shown at the end of the meeting, and uh, my kind of complete you know, inability to navigate a lot of the IT stuff. Um, you know, there, there are things that, you know, I just don't seem to be able to do. Uh, I'm just reminded of being down at the golf place. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeless at golf, but, you know, in your mind, you still think, well, there's a wee bit of potential there. I mean, I'm maybe, I'm, I'm maybe making a little bit of progress. And uh, I, I, I was given a, a gift of a lesson. And, you know, they video you, you know, when, when, and the guy was showing me back the video. And I was thinking, I know, I know I'm not Rory McIlroy, but, you know, I, I, think, I think it's not, not too bad. And I looked at that video and I thought, oh, I just look like a sack of potatoes. And uh, it looks more like somebody shoveling coal than it does a, a, a golf swing. And I mean, sometimes we just got to be realistic, you know, as it says here. Um, I, know, I know we're making light of it, but when it comes to the church, it is very important that we don't have some weird, mystical, super spiritual, I, I, the Lord wants me to do this. What, what it is, if we're getting specific this morning, is that we've got to be realistic. And we have to have sober judgment. That's how we're to think. And we've got to sit down and, and make a wee list maybe of these are my strengths. These are my weaknesses. These are the things that really interest me. This is the burden that's put on my heart. This is what I am passionate about. And, and, and maybe some, sometimes, or maybe often actually, ask other people that you respect, godly people that you respect. And, and if you are asked, by the way, I mean, you'll, you'll do it lovingly, but you, you will do it soberly and realistically. Because, you know, I have seen instances that have gone totally pear-shaped when people have been asked for references. And the references have been unrealistically golden. And, and it has not worked out because of the unrealistic things that have been written down about somebody. And so if you're ever asked, you know, follow what this says here. Uh, so we need, to, we need to think in this way. Second thing we need to think about, and we're looking at verse 3 again. Think with sober judgment. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, talks about God assigning faith, God assigning grace. Paul himself says that in verse 3, by the grace given to me. The essence of the Christian life is that 
God has, has given us something. I mean, that's, that's the very heart of it all. That what I, what I lacked, what I didn't have, what I couldn't attain, you know, God in his grace, I mean, that's what the word grace means. It's a gift. God gives me himself. He gives me his son. He gives me a savior. He gives me his goodness and his love. That, that's the very essence of it. We look to the cross and we, we hear the words, God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son. And that is the very essence of what it means to be a Christian. And that's how the whole thing continues. As far as living as a believer, it's, it's with the understanding of God has assigned something to me. He's given a measure of faith to me. And he goes on to describe various gifts here uh, as well. Now, now we know, you know this is used in everyday language. We, we know what it means when we say that somebody is, is gifted. I mean, when people saw Mozart... As a, as a child, you know, composing pieces and, and, and able to play uh, as he did. I mean, they knew he was, he was a gifted child, that he had a special gift that had been given. He was born with that. Some of you may not have heard of the next example, Barry John. Barry John, the greatest number 10 that Wales ever had, rugby union. Do you know what they used to say about Barry John and the way that he ran, the grace and the elegance? They said he could, he could run through a cornfield and, and the corn would never move. Nobody would know he was in the field. You know, He was born with it. A tremendous gift. Now we understand that's what is called common grace. A gift that people are born with. When people are born again, when any Christian is born again, they're given a gift. God assigns them to it. It's almost as if, if I can speak reverently, God, God sits down and says, well, there's that person. I'm going to give him that. There's that person. I'm going to give her that. And this is the way that we have to, that we have to think. Now, there's three, there's, there's three things about this idea that God has assigned a measure of faith to everybody. Number one, that's very encouraging. It's enormously encouraging because it means I've not been left out and neither of you. It's not as if there are people away over here and they're the people who are the have-nots. Not at all. God specifically and deliberately has looked at you and he chose to assign Something particular for you to do as far as serving him among the people of God. Secondly, we are to use what we have been given to do. Just imagine if Mozart or Barry John, I mean, I know he retired when he was 29 or maybe he was even younger, and that was a great big loss. But, I mean, imagine they hadn't used their gift. I mean... You remember the story that the Lord Jesus told about the talents that were allocated to various people. And then the master comes back and uh, he takes an account. And uh, he comes to one fellow who says, 
I just, I just buried it in the ground. That's all I did. I know you gave it to me, but... And the master's looking at him. You buried it in the ground. And you did nothing with it. You see, there is a time coming for all of us who love the Lord where we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we will have to answer, not about the penalty of our sins, that's been dealt with at the cross, but we will have to deal with the whole issue of how we've served the Lord and the rewards. It's interesting. You just have to kind of compete with babies sometimes. But there's obviously a big barney going on there. And, um, you know, the Lord will, will look at us and he will ask the question, what have you done with what has been given to you by me? And thirdly, this should get rid of any sense of frustration or of jealousy. You know, it's not so much, oh, I wish I, wish I was like them. I wish, I wish I had what they have. I wish I could do what, what they can do. You know, God has chosen himself to give this to you. And, 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 and that's what you are to do. And it's not to be hankering after other God has deliberately done this. And we should do that uh, for him. Um, and you see, it doesn't matter about how visible that is. Because Jesus actually spoke out against the people who paraded you know, their godliness in the streets. And he said, the thing about doing things in that way is that they've got the reward. That's their reward. Everybody thinks they're marvelous. Everybody thinks they're super spiritual. That is their reward. And the coming day they won't get one. But you, when you pray, rather than doing it that way, what you do is you go into the privacy of your own room. And your, and your heavenly Father who sees in secret will one day reward you publicly. And so, in the words of the, the children's hymn that I learned many days ago, many years ago, you know, Jesus bids us shine with a clear, pure light. He goes on to say this, you in your small corner and I in mine. That's what we're asked to do. Focus on what the Lord has given to us. So, think, think, with sober judgment, but also according to the measure that God has assigned. And just, just one other thing, by the way, under this point, and it's this, that, of course, he's talking here about not thinking about yourself more highly than you ought to think. There is the opposite of that. There are some people who don't think highly enough of themselves. And that restricts what they do, keeps them back, prevents them from getting involved and functioning in service in the church. They say, oh no, I couldn't do that. I'm not good enough. I don't have that kind of ability. The Lord is really saying by implication as well, you know, you've not to think too little of yourself either. You've got to remember that God has measured out this grace and this faith to you. So think about that. And he says, after thinking, the next step is use it. Use it. You see that uh, comes up there in verse number 6, that phrase. Having gifts 
that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And of course he uses the analogy here of of the body to help us understand. Now, again, there's three little points I want to make about this analogy of the body that uh, is, is brought to our attention. First one is this. In a body, in the body of Christ, as the people of God, we do not all have the same function. I mean, that's, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, it's pretty obvious as far as the human body was concerned. I mean, I mean say I was all just an arm, you know, and everything else had all atrophied away, and all you saw was a massive arm, and everything else was just shrunk away down, you know, that, that, would, that would be, you know, some kind of mutant thing, wouldn't it? It would be a kind of monstrosity rather than being a body. And that is the same. We don't want, you know, one big thing. It's, it's for everybody to play their part. That, that's the point that he's making. We don't all have the same function. Secondly, we're not just a collection of individual members. I mean, look at how it puts it in verse number 5 there. So we, although many, are one body. So I, I don't look upon myself as the arm. I have to look upon myself as part of the body. It's not just about my little thing that I do. It's about how that little thing is part of the bigger picture. And thirdly, there is an interconnection about all of that. It means that I am connected to others. That's what it says again in verse 5. That individually we are members one of another. So, I mean, the arm doesn't just kind of float around. The arm is connected to the other parts. Even parts that you're not really aware of. I mean, if you've had a stroke, or you know so you know that something's happened in the brain, and it affects the arm. Everything is interconnected, and that's the way that we need to look at this. Is when we use whatever ability that God has gifted us with, it's not to be done in isolation; it's to be done in in connection. Now, it's actually as straightforward as that. You know, I mean, this is not rocket science. I mean, this, this is not difficult. I mean, this is how we should, we should function in the church. Now, the problem is at times we have a massive tendency to overcomplicate things at times. I mean, I, I read, and I'm, I'm, I'm adapting this story slightly, but um, you imagine uh, Paul having written this letter here to the Romans. And, um, you know, he gives it to the messenger uh, who goes all the way to Rome and eventually he knocks on the door and he says, I've got a letter for you today. This is, this is, this is from Paul. And the guy's looking at him and he's looking over his shoulder and he says, what's, what's all that stuff behind you? And, and behind the guy, there's a couple of camels and a donkey. And they're all laden down with, with books and parchments and all the rest of it. And he said, oh, this is Paul's letter to you guys at Rome. These are all the commentaries and all the books that you're going to need to read to understand this letter. 
I mean, and that happens. We do overcomplicate things. Things actually, I mean, that's not to say some things aren't difficult. I'm kind of making my point. But from, from this perspective, this is not difficult. You see, in, in most churches, there, there are the committed, dedicated, central, small core group of people. And usually, the majority floating around about the periphery. For most churches, that is the case. And, and that shouldn't be the case. And, and we need to be, be challenged by this. We, we need to get specific. It's all very well talking about offering ourselves as a living sacrifice to Christ. But what that means is what we're talking about today. It's by functioning, serving, participating in the body of Christ. That's what it means, and we need to be challenged by that. And, you know, in this list here, there are, there are seven things. I'm, I'm not going to go through these in detail, don't worry. Um, there are seven things. There are other lists in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4. But if you look at, at some of the things here, the, the, one of the interesting points is, if, especially if you read it in some other translations, it's, again, it's just how straightforward it all is. Because basically what he's saying if having done all of this and you, you reckon that your gift is prophecy, by the way, when it says prophecy, that just doesn't mean an ability to tell the future. In the Bible, frequently, it's, it's not foretelling, it's forth-telling. It's, it's preaching the word. All right? Um, if, you, if that's your ability, well, crack on. Go on with it. Just do it. If, if, if your talent is... Uh, and by the way, just that bit after there, where it says, in proportion to our faith, that should probably mean in proportion to the faith, the faith, the pattern, the standard, the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Any, any teaching has to be in accordance to the faith, the body of truth that we have in the Bible, not just anything out of my head. Um, if, if, if the gift that you, you, you feel that you have you know, after looking at things with a sober mind, for instance, is exhortation. Verse 8. Well, on you go. Crack on, you know. Get on with your encouraging of people. And, and by the way, there's probably no greater gift required in the church than the, the great gift of being an encourager. You know, we, we are blessed with people who are that in Hebron. But we, 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 need, we need people coming through the ranks, younger generation, all the rest of it, looking to the future, that you see your ability as an encourager of, of others, getting alongside them and just encouraging them in their faith. But get on with it. The one who contributes, if you have a gift for giving, well, do that generously. And, and you know, the Lord looks at your heart you might feel you don't have very much to give, but the Lord looks at your heart. Russell and I were just speaking about this earlier, about the widow with the, the two mites. That's all she had. And she did what she could, same as Mary of Bethany did. They just did what they could and they gave what they had. And the Lord recognized that. I, I know a little girl. Well, she's not a little girl now. But when she was a little girl, she, she heard about some people who were working in India and who were trying to uh, run a, a children's home. 
and she had a wee jam jar and every now and again she put a penny or two in the jam jar and when these people actually came and stayed with us and visited us she gave the little jam jar to the missionary and uh, I'd have to say that there is a little swing park somewhere in India now that bears her name (laughs) you know she gave not very much but it was in her heart to give and for her she was giving generously we can give if your gift is showing mercy acts of mercy then, then, then do that cheerfully it even talks about those who lead are to do it with zeal we have an elders meeting on Tuesday night I do confess occasionally when I know an elders meeting is coming up my first response is oh, no another one you know, when there are lots of things coming up, you know, if that is it, get on with it, give yourself to it, do it with zeal and with enthusiasm. Some time ago, and we'll have the, this next slide up, and I'm sorry for going over, I'm just, uh, I'm just concluding things now. Some time ago, um, Alex and Ashley, uh, sorry, and Sally sent this round. And these are opportunities, current opportunities in Hebron. You know, where, where we can potentially get involved. And, you, and as you can see, there's, there's, there's a whole lot of them. We're thinking of bringing back the teas and coffees. We're thinking about bringing back the, the, the student lunches. We're even thinking about the possibility uh, of uh, starting up a Ukrainian community group for, for, for refugees who live just around the corner uh, in the hotel at the moment. So there are lots of things here. And then the next slide after this is the the sign-up, okay? If you're interested, if you think soberly and realistically and the Lord has laid it on your heart, get involved. And you can either do it this way or come and speak to some of us uh, afterwards. How should we think about all of this? This is the way that we should think about it. As a specific example of how I am offering myself, not to the church, you know, not to the elders, but offering myself to God as a living sacrifice and not just in vague, general, wishy-washy terms, but a specific way that I can offer myself to God. That's what Paul's talking about here. You know, let's get real. Let's get specific. Now let's pray. Lord, we again thank you for your love to us. We thank you for all that you've given to us in Christ. That great salvation that's available. And also these gifts that you have assigned to every single one of us to help, not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others. Help us, Lord, as we think of your love, as we devote ourselves to you as living sacrifices to to really get down to what that actually means in day-to-day life. And and we pray for your church. We thank you for each member who's here, each person. And we pray, Lord, we can build each other up in our most holy faith. We thank you for your goodness. And we ask that your word will touch our hearts today, as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.